One of the things that I think is very important in the therapeutic relationship is building the coping skills before you ever start talking about the abuse, right? So if you are not feeling ready to talk about what happened, that is okay. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, I'm Olivia Pitkethley, and this is the CWC Talks podcast. Just before we get started, I want to provide a trigger warning. We will be talking about childhood sexual abuse and how it can impact you and your relationships as an adult. So if you're listening to this and you get triggered, please feel free to pause the recording and do something to take care of yourself. I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast, Debbie Hatfield. She is a licensed mental health counselor in private practice in Gainesville. Welcome back, Debbie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And also joining us today is another mental health counselor, licensed mental health counselor, Michelle Alexander. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Olivia. Thank you for having me. So, Let's start off by defining sexual abuse. What is it? So specifically with childhood sexual abuse, that encompasses anybody under the age of 18. So we're talking about legal minors. And often that is the the range of being since birth up until about 16. There's some legal differences there as there are 16 to 18. And so what this can look like is ranging anywhere between penetration of an orifice or molestation, um, which, right, that's unwelcome touching. Um, It can also be forcing somebody to watch pornography. So it, it can look a lot of different ways But the idea is that there is some form of sexual gratification that the perpetrator is having with that minor. Okay. There's there's covert sexual Mm -hmm. abuse and then there's Mm -hmm. overt sexual abuse. So covert sexual abuse, from what I've you know, learned is more of the, here, let me show you these pictures of naked people, or let me show you this pornography, just stay in the room or talking about it, telling, you know, if an older adult is telling a child dirty jokes, things, things like that. And then there's the overt sexual abuse. And, you know, you touched on that a little bit where it can be a wide range of things. It could be exposing themselves to somebody. It could be touching a private area. It could be penetration. Um, How common is childhood sexual abuse? In 2018, Child Protective Services found that a child 
is sexually abused every nine minutes. And in 2016, specifically, 57,329 children in the U.S. were found to have been victims of sexual abuse. High numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And if you if you kind of break it down, let's say this this podcast is 45 minutes long. I don't know how long it's going to be at this point, but that's five kids. Just in the amount of time that we're here together talking. And Olivia, I have found some statistics, too, that of all victims under 18, two out of three are ages 12 to 17, which is 34 percent is under um, under the age of 12. Wow. So the likelihood that, you know, this is a college mental health podcast, the likelihood that our students have suffered some form of sexual abuse in their lifetime, I'd imagine is pretty high. Sure. And if they haven't experienced it personally, they'll probably have a friend or a loved one that has experienced um, some form of childhood sexual abuse. And in looking at the data it's not a stranger who suddenly abuses them. It's somebody that they know. Exactly. Yep. 93% of child perpetrators are family members or acquaintances. Wow. Wow. And that's also very close to the number for adults as well, that it's usually somebody that you know and trust. Mm-hmm. which is what makes especially childhood sexual abuse and all forms of sexual abuse very painful. It really impacts your ability to trust other people. Right. Because you, you trusted this person who used that. They use that trust against you. Mm-hmm. Which is often called grooming. Okay. What would grooming look like? Grooming is when someone who is the identified, I know we're using some legal terms here, like perpetrator or um, the abuser, and they prepare the person that they are planning on abusing. And so they may do that like you were saying earlier, covertly and overtly. I mean, sometimes you're grooming someone by just getting them more used to looking at naked photos of people. And and then you kind of ramp up. And so that can almost sound for some people like, well, why don't, you know, the people in this photo look like they love each other and, and we love each other. What if we did what they're doing? And so it can slowly ramp up in that way. And it can be very confusing as a child. There's, there's a gut instinct that can come mm-hmm. up and, and let us know, like, this doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. But often it happens so slowly. And, and there can even be grooming to be as far as threats. That if you tell anybody what we're doing, 
I will hurt somebody you love. Yeah. Or no one will believe you. Mm -hmm. So these are all forms of what grooming can sound like. Michelle, do you have any other thoughts on that? Maybe anything I'm missing? I was thinking about um, sometimes in those situations, a perpetrator may um, help somebody to feel very special and very prized. They may get on a special treat. Um, They may buy them something, may offer them money, anything to help that um, child individual feel loved and appreciated. And so like all of their behavior is telling them in one way that they're feeling loved and cared about, but then it becomes very confusing when touch or maybe images or other things feel uncomfortable. And for a lot of times, and I think some of the biggest part for children is that piece of confusion and not knowing who to trust, who to tell, um, because they care about this person, but it doesn't feel right. But yet they're told this is going to be our secret. And I would imagine too, for, for some children, it's also it's also confusing because they care about this person. They feel comfortable with them. They trust them. They like feeling special. They like, you know, getting the gifts and feeling like, you know, they're, they're important. And then you add in sometimes that the, the sexual abuse they're having a pleasurable um, physiological experience along with it. You know, I've heard that from other sexual abuse survivors. It felt good. And then they feel guilty thinking that, that it feels good. Exactly. That's very common. It's, it's, that's what our bodies do. They are designed to respond in that way. And so it it does create quite an internal struggle and where you can often feel disgusted by yourself. And so really important to know that the, the responses your body is having is so normal, so human and, and to hopefully let go of some of that shame. Mm. So that's something that can affect them as they get older mm-hmm. and as they start exploring their own sexuality. For sure. Yes. And then whenever they're working towards, um, they go through puberty, depending on when the abuse happens, puberty can be a big thing um, for kids because their bodies are changing. Mm-hmm. They start having hair in places maybe they didn't have hair before, their breasts are growing. And so depending on when abuse starts, our growing bodies and changing bodies can add to that confusion and challenges. Mm-hmm. And any and all responses to any kind of sexual assault are normal. (laughs) The whole range. 
I often tell clients like, yes, that response is normal. Mm -hmm. So whether they feel that disgust, that guilt, that shame, that excitement, that pleasure, it's all normal. All normal. All normal. And as people grow up and they start to, you know, I've had some clients say after I realized what had happened to me as a kid, I started sleeping with a lot of people and that didn't make sense to me. And it's like, no, no, that's normal. You were in a space of wanting to reclaim your body. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there's so, so we're talking about so many layers of shame that happen as we continue to work through what happened to us as kids. And so very normal, but whereas other people might have a very difficult time being intimate, even with their long-term partner, right? So it can be anywhere in terms of responses. Mm -hmm. I think it's Brene Brown that said we're wired for connection and belonging. And when somebody has had the experience of childhood sexual abuse, their systems and patterns were thrown off with the abuse. So finding Mm -hmm. those ways that they connect and belong and then expressing themselves was impacted with that abuse. And so as Debbie was talking about reclaiming their sexuality, reclaiming some things, carrying out those relationships because we're wired to connect and belong. Mm Can we talk about some ways that someone who has been sexually abused in childhood, how their relationships would be impacted? I think Debbie really hit on a point earlier when she was talking about trust and learning to figure out how do I decide If I feel comfortable with this person, how do I know I can put some trust in this person? So trust and trust in lots of different ways, not maybe they don't trust what they say. I don't trust you when you tell me that you love me because other people have told me that they love me and they hurt me. Somebody could innocently be saying to someone how special they are. And if that was something that their abuser did, it could really frighten them. Mm -hmm. Even though maybe this new person really thinks they're special, wants to really get to know them and love them appropriately. Mm -hmm. That can trigger them to a place that they were before. Yeah. And those are some of the emotional aspects that you might pick up on in a relationship if you are struggling with a history of childhood sexual abuse. And then there's also how it might impact your sex life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whether it's feeling triggered by certain kinds of touch, 
mm-hmm. or pain during intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, Which happens so much more often than people realize because nobody talks about it. And this can be part of the benefit of talking with a counselor. And I think part of why I'm so glad we are doing this podcast because we may not even realize as this is happening, like, okay, these two things are connected. And so working through and having support and somebody that you do trust to talk through the abuse pieces with can then have a really positive impact as you heal on your relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's very scary. It can be incredibly scary to, to trust anyone, let alone a stranger you don't know when you start seeking out therapy. True. That's true. But as counselors, we're, we don't expect people to just come in and divulge everything you know, right from the, right from the get go. I have worked with clients for up to a year who will finally feel comfortable enough and trust me enough to say, to talk about a trauma that experience that they experienced in their life. And that's okay. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it takes one session, if it takes one month, one year, 10 years, as long as you can find that person, that one person that you can trust and work through this with. Olivia, I like how that really speaks to that readiness piece and being ready. Um, college is such a wonderful time um, for many students and childhood sexual abuse, while it often goes underreported, Um, A lot of children, young adults are in situations where they may not feel safe. So college is a time where students can start exploring and opening up and seek mental health services here at UF at the CWC, um, but on their college campus. And I think it's important while you talk about that, you know, kind of working through therapy and then they become ready. Sometimes people know, I just need to talk about this. I encourage a student, if you're having concerns or feelings like that, you know, definitely call and make an appointment to speak with someone. Um, And I know for some students, there's that place where you're ready. And then sometimes with childhood sexual abuse, if we've been pushing it down, Sometimes it'll start pushing up on its own. And so if you start having those feelings, I would encourage you definitely to come in and talk to someone, you know, how to manage those or get some support. Right. And a, a good therapist will bring up the stuff and then say, okay, that's it. You know, they'll provide you with the safe space. So if you go into therapy and you go into a session and you begin to talk about um, this trauma that you experienced, your therapist knows how to help you kind of regroup at the end of that experience. So you're not leaving the therapy session super triggered, super activated, you know, however you might be feeling. I know, Olivia, with my experience with therapy, therapists have been very helpful in making 
not necessarily making, but being able to help um, someone be able to see how their experiences, maybe their relationships, maybe their inability to concentrate or different things that are happening for them in the now could be being impacted by abuse that had happened, childhood sexual abuse that had happened to them mm-hmm. years prior, sometimes being able to kind of help put that together while sometimes still frustrated and it's angry, sometimes being able to recognize, oh, that's where I first started experiencing this and getting insight on, okay, here's some things that we can heal and work on to help improve my situation or help me in a better situation. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit more about why you wanted to do this podcast. Why is it important to you to have this conversation? I just think college is such a growing place in everyone's life. And as we were talking about the statistics earlier, um, it's a very common experience for folks to have been impacted by the childhood sexual abuse. However, the things that haven't been talked about, maybe the feelings that they're experiencing, the symptoms, how it does impact them, different things like that. I think it's very important to bring um, to the forefront of students and to let them know that there is a system, there is some help available, and it's something that can be done when they're ready. How will someone know if they're ready? That's such a good question. I'm like, (laughs) how does somebody know when they're ready? I think sometimes we don't know we're ready. And (laughs) as clients, we just kind of jump in and may find ourselves like, like in a room with a therapist and just kind of going, okay, wow, I wasn't expecting that to come out. Or sometimes it is, you know, you've developed a therapeutic relationship over time. And, and however, it comes out as totally fine when is totally fine. Maybe even never. Mm -hmm. I know some people that 30 years later, were like, okay, I think I'm ready to do this now. Mm -hmm. And, And so it may be something conscious where it's like that conscious decision of like, this could be good for me. It could also be really hard, but this could be good for me. And decades later, or I know for myself, it was, um, I had been assaulted at, I want to say I was 15. To be honest, I don't even totally remember because I developed what's called dissociative identity disorder, where you kind of separate. And so I have a lot of missing memories. And I remember one day, I think I was 17 at this point, um, I was sitting in the living room of my family home and all of a sudden kind of realized, oh crap, I don't really remember much of anything from the past two years. And, and it had kind of been building. I had friends say like, oh, you remember when this and this happened and, and they were big things, like things I should have remembered and had no memory of it. And so loss of memory is a very common 
thing to happen with sexual abuse or sexual assault in general. And um, that's when I realized, okay, something happened. Something's not right. And I remember going to my mom and saying, I think I need to speak with someone. And, um, and my mom didn't pry. She just got me connected with a therapist Mm. and, um, I'm so thankful she did that therapist saved my life and taught me how to reintegrate and get to where I could function enough to go off to college. Cause I mean, I still don't remember a lot of what happened during those years, but at at this point in my life, I've kind of come to feel like, okay, I may not ever remember those things, but I have a really full and fulfilling life now. Mm -hmm. So that for me was very important, but it can be very different for other people as well. And, even coming to the place of like, as you start doing therapy, you might have memories surface that you didn't remember. And so these are all things that a therapist can also help prepare you for. Right. Right. And that sometimes when you bring up your trauma in therapy, it can kind of make you feel worse for a little while. <laughs> yes. You know, yes it's it's kind of like coming out and now you're confronting all of these feelings that oh my gosh they're so incredibly painful and that's okay yeah or at least I, it will be okay exactly i i often describe to clients as this is starting to surface that it's like we are cleaning out an infected wound that as you are scrubbing at it it is going to be raw and painful and it may feel worse for a while, but it will heal better over time. Mm-hmm. And the therapist won't push you to, if you're not ready, maybe that would be a better question. How you know when you're not ready for therapy or to uncover this trauma. And maybe it's not, not so much. How do you know, but you just know, you just know if you're not ready. Um, Oh, sorry. Go, Michelle. (laughs) So on the not ready, I was just thinking just sometimes we just may not be there and consciously feel like we may not be there. But I also recognize that sometimes it's pushing up and we don't want to be ready and it's going to be there. Um, And that was probably more true in my situation um, when I, um, came out about um, being sexually abused as a child. I had an experience, my experience was early from about ages four to probably four is the earliest I can remember. Maybe I need to put it that way, just as we're talking it into approximately about 13 or 14 is when it ended. And then when I was 17, as we were kind of talking about relationships and different things coming up, I actually overdosed and ended up in the hospital. I wasn't near dying or anything like that. I wasn't trying to commit suicide, but I was so overwhelmed with feelings and everything. And at that point, I got connected with a therapist, which I didn't want to go. Um, But I did. Um, And um, when I did, the therapist started asking me some questions and I was like, oh, We just don't need to talk about any of that. And I think for me, that was the time in my life where I started figuring out more and more my story 
but it, honestly for me to really kind of work on me and work through some things, it didn't happen until I was in undergrad and graduate school. So that inner knowing of like, oh, we don't need to go there. <laughs> was that response yeah, for you to know you weren't ready? Yeah, that's a response that I'm not ready. But then it's also that response of, holy cow, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes being able to have that conversation with a therapist of it's here, but I don't want to be here. And so working with a therapist to figure out, okay, what are the little steps, little things that you can do to help you feel comfortable or help you manage? And then figuring out when maybe I want to share or I don't. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're bringing that up. There's um, right that how do I manage piece when we are assaulted and control is taken away from us, control of our own bodies is taken away from us. It is so important for us to be in control of our story when we share it, who we share it with, if anyone. And one of the things that I think is very important in the therapeutic relationship is building the coping skills before you ever start talking about the abuse, right? So if you are not feeling ready to talk about what happened, that is okay. I mean, one of my favorite TikTok therapists (laughs) talks about how it's like, okay, there's trauma. You ready to talk about that today? Nope. Okay. That's fine. Oh, oh, we're okay. A month in ready to talk. No. Okay. That's fine. A year. Okay. Great. Oh, oh, there. Okay. You're wanting to talk about it. All right. This is, this is on your timetable, your control, and it can be your therapist job before you even start talking about what it is that you have been through. How do I cope with the feelings? How do I cope with the impact it's having on my life. And so you can start there. You got to build the support before you can open the wound. And Debbie, I like that you brought that up because a therapist are a wonderful place to start with building those coping skills with. They're also a great trial run in talking about this information because, you know, as we've kind of talked about childhood sexual abuse, um, you and I are probably both not strangers to well, what's going to happen if I tell my mom or if I tell my dad or, um, you know, but I really care about this person. Um, you know, what are those impacts going to be? And I think, you know, therapists are pretty wonderful at having those conversations and understanding the relationships and the connections in the feelings and providing support and also providing support for when somebody decides they are or not, they decide that they are, they decide that they're not ready to have those conversations um, with others, maybe outside of that therapy space. And it could be, you may go to therapy and talk about it and maybe that's where it stays for a while because that's, where you feel comfortable and that's where you're learning about you, which is one of the the best gifts is learning about you, but being able to learn about you and all of you. Let's also talk a little bit about 
based off of exactly what you're saying, confidentiality. I was thinking that too, because when Michelle, when you said, you know, when you, when the therapist asked you, you were 17. Yes. You know, your records were still available for your parents to see. Yes. And unfortunately with my parents, they were not necessarily active and involved parents they were not really on the therapy board, but because of the whole situation, um, honestly, um, so for in my situation, and I'll be honest, probably at the time when her and I had the conversation, I'm like, if you ever were to share with my parents, anybody, you lied, I lied. I probably, I would have hit it kind of thing because it was that, much of something that would destroy me. Um, So, and that's a big piece too, is that confidentiality piece. Mm -hmm. And so giving, having somebody know the limits to confidentiality too would be important in that situation. Exactly. And um, Olivia and Debbie, you guys just made, just jarred my mind because part of my situation, by the time I was in therapy, the abuse wasn't currently happening. And so while they could have reported, it wasn't something that was currently happening. And so um, I don't know that If it was ever reported, I'm not aware of that kind of thing. So, Right. So for anybody listening who who may be experiencing this or has experienced this in the past and wants to talk with a therapist about it, our limits to confidentiality as therapists involve keeping you and other people safe. And so if the abuse had been continuing or this person had access to other children that they could be abusing, right? So if this happened in the past, but they are a camp counselor or a a church group leader or a kindergarten teacher, like any access that they could have to other children, this is something that a therapist would have to report that everyone in the state of Florida are considered mandatory reporters and and for anything having to do with protecting children or the elderly or people who cannot take care of themselves, therapists are mandatory reporters for that as well. And so um, what I usually share with my clients when um, this is something that we're talking about is here are my limits. These are the, if, if I have any identifying information and that, and other children could be in danger or at risk, that is something I would have to report if I have any sense of who this person is. And so as the, the client that gives you more control over how much information you share, you can still talk about your experience of what happened, but you can have full control over whether or not you decide to leave a name out or you decide to leave some kind of identifier out, right? So if it's like 
yes, I went to this camp, then okay, that that's information I would ha- have to report because it's identifying. Mm-hmm. So knowing these gives you the most control. And Debbie, I like that we're talking about confidentiality. And I just think um, just talking about counseling in general, I would encourage anyone have the conversation with the counselor. You know, if you're feeling unsure, if you're feeling uncomfortable, you may want to talk about something, but you're afraid of a report, you're afraid of something, have the conversation with the counselor. They're there to support you and help you. Um, but we do have um, some obligations as therapists and we can have a conversation that can um, help support you and help us to, to work in an ethical capacity. Well, we're just about at time, but I really want to thank both of you for sharing your own personal stories and your professional expertise in this area. Uh, I'm so grateful that we had such an important conversation about this. And I also want to acknowledge again that this conversation can be triggering. It can be triggering for all three of us, it could be triggering for all listeners, regardless if they have suffered from childhood sexual abuse or not. So when you're triggered, as it can happen, what is it that you all do to take care of yourselves? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) After you, Debbie. (laughs) Oh, so many things. So many things. So, gosh, I'm a big fan of TikTok. (laughs) If that wasn't obvious (laughs) in my earlier statement, I might spend a few minutes watching some animal videos or I might go for a walk. Connecting with nature is one thing that I think both Michelle and I can agree is a a great way to. It's very grounding and very healing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, taking deep breaths, um, moving from the position that I'm in, like whenever I'm hearing it, like if I'm sitting down, maybe taking some deep breaths, standing up, getting a drink of water, splashing some water on my face. Um, I love the TikTok study, anything YouTube, anything. Um, I do like funny cat and dog jokes, um, just different. Anything that just kind of helps um, maybe move your attention from that deep, deep spot that just helps you kind of catch your breath. Because it's important for us to remember the abuse happened back there. It's not happening to us in the moment. And so um, helping us to keep that in perspective that we're okay, we're safe, we've made it through the hard part. So. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That, That grounding and knowing in this moment, I am safe. And people can do that so many different ways, whether it's like through that physiological, like 
I'm going to ground by naming five things I see, mm-hmm. four things I hear, three things I can touch, noticing the chair you're sitting on or your feet in your shoes so that you can really look around the room and know in this moment I am safe, right? Because our, our animal brains that are responding to the safety cues and the trauma in that way are saying, red alarm, we're not safe. We're not feeling safe. I need you to be aware, mm-hmm. aware that there could be a lion coming right for us. And so being able to actually be like, okay, no, I am, I am here right now in this moment and I'm okay. I also want to encourage too, if you've got a friend or a partner or a loved one that you are comfortable with, sometimes being able to talk with them and say, I'm having one of those moments, you know, and sometimes being able to share um, can be very helpful. I'm thinking about, you know, part of the things we talked about is the relationships, dating relationships, and sometimes, um, it's very helpful if you're communicating with a partner, it may not only be helpful for you in getting support, but it also um, encourages your partner in letting them know that they can be there and be connected with you, even when you're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And, and letting you your don't... partner know how they can be there for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you don't have a partner or don't have a support system, at the Counseling and Wellness Center, there is a Survivors of Sexual Violence Support Group. And in that group, it is a whole variety, whether it was somebody that went through childhood sexual abuse, it could also be someone who experienced sexual violence a couple weeks ago. I mean, but that group is so incredibly important to being in a room with other survivors who really get it. And so if you don't have that, those other resource support people in your life, that can be another way to feel connected. Absolutely. And Debbie, that's a great place sometimes to once um, maybe you've worked with an individual therapist, if you're having struggles and holy cow, how do I talk to some other people? Group is a wonderful way to begin having those conversations because more than likely There are other young people having that whole conversation in their head, like we have to do, like, how do I have this conversation and getting with our peers um, that have had similar experiences often really creates some great brainstorming and ideas. And I know in my group experience with college students, they come up with some of the best ideas or some of the most creative or you know, things I've never thought about. So um, there's a lot of places to, to start when you're ready and when you're comfortable. You know, it's just making that call. And we hope we hope each person that would like assistance would make that call. And we'll include um, some of the resources like the Rape and Crisis Center with Alachua County, the RAIN organization, um, they both have, you know, wonderful counselors that can help you, um, help you get connected. So thank you again so much, you guys. Um, I really appreciate you. Same. Right back at you. 
You all take care. Thanks for having us, Olivia and Debbie. It's awesome to see you and awesome to be able to have this conversation with you and, uh, and Olivia. Glad to be a part. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.